Welcome to the QI Chatroom. I'm your host, Kelly Bond. This podcast is brought to you by Redwood Community Health Coalition, or RCHC for short. We're a network of community health centers and a wellness education site throughout Marin, Napa, Sonoma, and Yolo counties. We formed in 1994 with a mission of improving access to and the quality of care provided for underserved and uninsured people. This podcast is all about quality improvement, or QI, in healthcare. We'll bring you speakers from our member health centers, outside health centers, county and federal agencies, healthcare plans, and more. Those speakers will discuss promising practices they've identified at health centers, the latest data on specific health topics, and engage in conversation with our live audience. We've been hosting these chat rooms since late 2018 and transitioned to the podcast format in the fall of 2019 to reach a greater range of listeners. We hope you'll join us as we share the latest in quality improvement with you. Last week was Food Champion Week at RCHC. We hosted a Food Champion Roundtable event and taped two podcast episodes related to food and nutrition. This is the second podcast episode and features Edie Kuiper from Communicare Health Centers. Edie manages Communicare's food programs that connect patients with healthy food and with each other in order to prevent and manage diet-related disease. Raised on a farm in Vermont, Edie served as a Peace Corps volunteer in rural Mauritania. Edie holds an MS in International Agricultural Development from UC Davis. Prior roles include facilitating better integration of agriculture and nutrition development efforts in low-income countries and providing technical assistance to community-based nutrition education and food security projects that engage low-income U.S. households. Edie also lectures in the Nutrition, Food, and Dietetics program at CSU Sacramento. Communicare's Food is Medicine initiatives integrate food with the delivery of clinical services. Communicare is located in Yolo County, where agricultural traditions run deep. Programs draw on unique community strengths to address patients' mental and physical health needs while considering environmental justice. Initiatives to date include the garden and outdoor classroom, cooking classes, and produce distribution and prescriptions. Here's Edie, who spoke to us from the garden at the clinic. Thanks, Kelly. Hi, everyone. Yeah, as Kelly mentioned, I'm here on location today. I thought that it would be um, a nice addition for those people that are able to participate in person to actually see what we've um, been able to install in the past year. So for those who are not uh, with us in person and are just um, listening to the audio, I will try my best to um, be a, a podcast developer and um, describe everything as thoroughly as possible. Um, first, I want to back up and just explain how and why this garden came into being and um, how I feel like our food programs can complement and um, maybe add to the discussion that's happened this week. The food focused um, week, all the different activities that RCHC had sponsored this week. Um, I've heard from so many inspiring partner organizations, um, FQHCs in our region, and I was left thinking, well, what can we add to this conversation? 
And so I would just want to start by saying that I don't know that anything we're doing is necessarily um, it's not necessarily groundbreaking in, in some regards, and yet we are doing our best to make the most of the circumstances that we're in. We're trying to contextualize some of the great experiences that others have um, demonstrated for us, um, for example, in Olay or at Sonoma Valley or um, in Alameda County. And um, based on what we've learned from those experiences and others, we have used models to make the most of what we were given and what, what um, opportunities and assets we have. So what we call our garden and outdoor classroom, sometimes we call it the food as medicine garden, but we're kind of sticking with the more um, practical garden and outdoor classroom title. And it is right adjacent to our um, Hanson Family Health Center. So again, for those of you who are on the call, I'm going to start doing a little bit of a tour here. The clinic is right there. Um, it's just north of the garden. And when this clinic was constructed in 2014, it opened for services in 2014, there was a three quarter acre lot adjacent to it that was undeveloped and there were no real plans for developing it. Just some abstract idea that eventually maybe a building would be built on it. But we heard, or actually I shouldn't say we because I wasn't part of the organization at that point, but staff and um, patients repeatedly mentioned that it would be a great site for a garden. So that concept um, was explored and um, there were many different uh, activities to try to figure out how that might work, but it really gained momentum once I was hired and um, given the mandate to, to make it happen. So that happened, my hire happened in 2018. We um, started developing plans decided that we didn't need three quarters of an acre. And so we are just using one third of the lot. We are, um, we've installed our garden on a quarter acre lot here. And things really picked up momentum when our garden coordinator joined us a year ago. And um, Brian is here next to our shed doing a little bit of paperwork. <laughs> so Brian Boyce has been farming in this area for um, 20 plus years or so. Uh, so his title here is garden coordinator, but I think a more apt title might be farmer in residence. He um, came with a wealth of experience and really got the installation moving. So we set up our fence right as COVID hit and decided to move forward with the rest of the installation, even despite some of the challenge that COVID presented. And we now have our 12 raised beds here. Each bed is six by three feet. You can see they're in different stages of production. And in the year, not quite year, in the nine months that we've been producing um, fruits and vegetables, mostly vegetables, we have harvested and distributed um, 2,000 pounds to patients. Um, besides the garden, our food programs are, as Kelly mentioned, intended to connect patients to healthy food and to each other. And the impetus for a lot of these activities was our integration of food distribution into our group medical visits. And we really took a um, lot of that direction from um, going on a site visit to what um, Dr. Stephen Chen was doing at the time in Alameda, um, in Hayward, Alameda County. Um, 
we saw their integration of, of produce with their group medical visits and started doing that ourselves in our own way and um, used that as a model for a way to connect healthy food in the context of, um, of an appointment and then as an opportunity to both incentivize participation and also to um, give people the tools and the resources they needed to continue to make those healthy choices and to adopt some of the diet related um, behaviors into their lifestyles in case they were facing food insecurity or other access issues related to um, fruits and vegetables. So I think I'll stop there and I think that we'll probably continue and address a couple more questions as we expand the conversation. Yeah, so I'd love to ask you a few questions, Edie, and then we can open it up to the group. So is there anything else you'd like to share about how your programs have changed due to COVID? Sure. So one program that was just beginning to um, develop and, and um, come online as COVID hit was our cooking program. We received funding from the California Department of Food and Agriculture to integrate cooking culinary education into the clinical context with, with both cooking classes and also um, food demonstrations. We conducted one food demonstration and one cooking class before we had to shut things down. So that timing was extremely unfortunate. And for the first few months after the beginning of the pandemic, we were, I think as many other organizations were just waiting for things to pass and um, expecting that we would get back to business as usual sooner than later. Then by summer, we realized that this might be a more uh, prolonged hiatus than we'd originally anticipated. So we moved to an online format and we've been conducting virtual cooking classes using Cooking Matters curriculum since, since September. We are now in our third series and we're recruiting, let's see, yes, we're in our third series. Each um, series is four classes and we try to engage the same patients in each of those and we're recruiting for our fourth series. Um, I think that's allowed us a little bit of flexibility and, and expanded our capacity in a different format. Obviously it um, presents its own challenges and we did have a, a long lull given COVID. COVID also really exacerbated food insecurity as many um, other health centers have observed and so we saw the garden as an opportunity to respond to that and to be um, proactive. So um, Brian in particular, as soon as things shut down, was thinking that instead of halting the construction, we needed to move forward even with more, um, uh, more um, focus because of the pending um, kind of looming food security crisis that we anticipated. Thanks, Edie. And do you think that any of the changes you made for COVID will stick, like maybe some of the virtual options for patients? Yes, I, I think that we will continue some level of virtual offerings. I'm not exactly sure what that would look like if we were able to do in person, but we are um, actually just yesterday, we submitted a proposal that included the idea of if um, COVID was to extend, we would continue virtual classes. And then if um, it, things did return to normal with air quotes, um, we would move to a format where um, we might have some asynchronous classes. So maybe we'd have some 
recorded options that people could access, or maybe we'd record some of our in-person activities because we do see it as an opportunity to extend the learning to people who face transportation challenges or just may not be comfortable coming to an in-person class or might wanna check it out before they come to an in-person class. Thanks. And something that came up during the roundtable actually was about garden maintenance. And I'm wondering if you could speak to how the garden is maintained, if there's a cohort of volunteers or staff interns that you use to help maintain the garden. On a normal day, on a normal Friday, and actually most other days of the week, we would have an intern from UC Davis who um, was here and we could um, introduced to the group, but today um, happens to be one day where we, we don't have anyone on site. We, I, as I mentioned, have really tried to focus on what our, um, I guess, not necessarily competitive, but what our advantages are, what our assets are, and, and, and build on those. And um, the garden was first conceived to be something that would especially focus on patients and that it would be an opportunity that they would um, lead and so many of those um, community-led efforts have really been stymied by COVID and some we are um, not really sure how to address given again, the prolonged nature of the pandemic, but we also are in really close proximity to um, UC Davis, which is always leapfrogging another university in the Netherlands for the number one spot in the world for agricultural universities and research. So given UC Davis's agricultural prowess, we um, have been able to tap into uh, especially their sustainable agriculture and food systems um, department or program. It's a, um, an undergraduate degree that requires students to get 300 hours of internship units in sustainable agriculture. So um, this has been a, a great fit. We're about 15 minutes away from the town of Davis. So students do have to have their own transportation, but right now we have about 12 hours of um, student intern labor per week. And we also have completed our processes so that when we're able to welcome um, patients into the garden as volunteers, we are in compliance with um, Cal OSHA for um, agricultural labor standards. We have processes that also include um, COVID. So because of the extent of the pandemic in more recent months, we've decided to not move forward with that in a very aggressive way, but, but it is an option that we will pick up on again as soon as the, the cases diminish. Thanks, Edie. And I know you've done um, a bunch of evaluation work for the programs that you offer. Could you speak about how you evaluate and if there are any specific tools that you use? Sure. Um, so we've done a lot of consideration of evaluation. But again, with um, COVID, it feels like our actual um, evaluation is, is um, not where we'd like it to be, but that's okay. We're just starting and, and we anticipate that it'll, things will only get better. We have, um, again, with UC Davis, which is also my former employer. So um, I, I do have a lot of connections there that have helped us to move some of these activities forward a little more quickly. We're working on a research collaboration with a graduate student in nutrition that would um, provide us with some formative baseline um, findings, uh, qualitative work that would 
consist of interviews with patients so we could get a better idea of what their needs and interests were related to food programs. We have um, in that promising practice that Kelly shared, there's our um, pre and post survey that we're, we were using prior to the pandemic. And then Cooking Matters, the curriculum that we use for our cooking classes also includes evaluation measures. And that was one of the reasons that we selected that curriculum. Um, it, in addition to providing the lessons also includes evaluation and technical assistance. We also are, um, again, through UC Davis, working to hire, um, in air quotes, will be the host for an, a paid intern who would be working with us up to 20 hours a week over the summer on evaluation. So we're really excited about that collaboration and hope that that can really move us forward in terms of um, identifying what progress we're making, what gaps there are, and um, what the evidence, we want to really build the evidence about how this works so that we can continue to push for this being an integrated part of more and more clinical activities, both through Communicare and other health centers. Thanks. And what about future plans for the garden, different programs that you're offering, the cooking classes, um, thinking longer term, so once things kind of get back to quote unquote normal, um, yeah, what is your goal? Maybe it's opening the offerings up to more patients, something like that. I'm just curious what your, what your future plans might be. Yeah, like I mentioned, this garden was really conceived to be something that um, would be patient focused. And, and I feel like that is still the case. It's just that patients aren't allowed in in the same way that we had anticipated. So I'm turning around right now to show what will eventually be our outdoor classroom. Right now it's um, just four picnic tables. I would say right now it probably serves more um, precisely as our outdoor break room because staff have been using it for breaks since the um, since COVID's required limits on the number of people who can sit at a table. And it's also a, a great place to be able to come and have a lunch. Um, it's a 20 by 30 foot space that will eventually have a shade structure over it. And we hope that that'll be installed by um, definitely by the time it gets hot this summer, we're hoping by April or May, we'll have that in place. Um, that will be the site of our, our classes. So we hope to both have food classes like cooking classes, food preservation classes, we're working with the master food preservers who would help teach some of those. And um, also uh, our group visits. So that this would actually be like an extension of the clinical space and that anything that happens in the clinic could also happen outdoors. We heard from patients that there was actually a really strong desire to have one-on-one um, -on -one behavioral health visits in the garden. And so we have some spaces carved out. There's pathways around the back of what will eventually be the shade structure area that also have um, places carved out for benches. And we have a plan to make some of those private um, so that you wouldn't be able to identify who was meeting. We even hope to um, have a water feature that would mask the voices um, and ensure even greater privacy. Um, yeah, so, so we really hope that this can be very closely integrated with the clinic. Yeah, my, my last kind of a two-parter is about um, the funding of the work. If you could share 
any advice you have for health centers around how they could possibly fund something similar and the sustainability of the work. So I think that includes funding and then also like staffing, but just how do you make this, this kind of work sustainable? Yeah, that's a really good question. I feel like it's multi-pronged for sure. We have started with some core funding um, originally for my salary, and then we've been able to pull in some grant funding. Like I mentioned, um, I think one of our biggest external uh, sources right now is actually our biggest is community benefit funding that's focused on diabetes. So we are using this as an extension of our Healthy Living with Diabetes program and working hard to integrate it with diabetes. Our um, culinary instructors are actually paraprofessional diabetes educators who are spending just a little bit of time on our um, cooking education activities with hopes that they'll be able to bring that skill set back to the group medical visits and do food demonstrations. So some of it's cross-training, building capacity among um, staff who aren't necessarily part of the food programs team to extend it into other clinical operations. Um, we have considered and we would love to find a way that we could use this to um, generate um, revenue through more traditional sources, but haven't really landed on anything that works well yet. We have heard from some that um, sometimes food can bring people in for clinical care, and um, that's something that we'd like to explore. I think that we hope that some of this evaluation work will be able to quantify that and maybe um, at least demonstrate opportunities, if not um, actual uh, current um, revenue generation. And then ongoing um, anything and everything. So we found that there's um, this funding opportunity for gardens called seed money. And it's an um, opportunity where every penny that's donated to your project is yours to keep. It's crowdsourced funding, kind of like um, Kickstarter, except you don't have to reach your goal to be able to keep your funding and you're eligible for extra grants depending on how much you get um, from your donors so those um, we did a kickstarter campaign a year ago and then seed money this past fall and i feel like both those opportunities are useful in terms of engaging the broader community in this um, and then we've reached out to business interest a lot of in-kind support from local industry especially agricultural industry um, Bayer Crop Science helped, they came out three or four times with huge tractors to plow this area. And um, yeah, I could go on about different in-kind support that we've received. So I think it's really in our experience about being as open to any and all um, funding opportunities as possible. Obviously, if there's something that's gonna be um, in conflict with your missions and that may not be the, the right choice, but we've um, found that given that we're in what some people call seed central, this area that has some of the greatest concentration of seed and ag um, industry and actually definitely in the nation, if not in the world. Um, there are a lot of partnerships that we can develop with, with local industry and then um, pursuing grant funding. So again, I just worked on another proposal to the Department of Food and Agriculture yesterday. It's called Specialty Crop Block Grant Funding that is intended to promote um, in our case, fruits and vegetables, and might be something other health centers could look into as well in the future. Thanks, Edie. Yeah, it sounds like a, a lot of um, hats that 
that you're wearing trying to manage all of that, finding the, the funding from lots of different sources to be able to make this work. Uh, but I'm sure your patients appreciate you doing all of that and they will even more once they're able to get out there. And that's great that staff can at least use those that space behind you as a break room, outdoor break room. That must be nice. I was just curious, this is Beth at Santa Rosa Community Health, kind of two things. One is kind of recommendations that you'd have for health centers that don't necessarily have a space, like, you know, open space near them. Um, and then the second question is just kind of, I'm curious if you could go into a little more detail of how the patients are getting the food, like all the 2000 pounds of food and kind of how it's like the different, what you found of like the best way to get the food to the patients, I guess. So those are my two questions. Yeah. So with this upcoming project, um, the the proposal that I mentioned, and you know, some of this, I feel like with um, proposal development, it's really an opportunity to think through things that you'll do, whether the funding comes through or not. And um, one component of it was container gardening. So I think that that's definitely something that anybody can do. Uh, maybe there's still limits, but even if you have some landscaped area outside your clinic, you could probably find a way to install a couple containers. And in some regards, it could be more useful. Um, I think that there's a lot of benefits to having a garden like this, especially having it in conjunction with the outdoor classroom, but some of it can be less um, applicable to people and patients who don't have space to grow food in. So if you want it to be especially relevant to them, I think that containers are a great way to go. Um, related to how we distribute food, we have just been bringing it into the waiting room. We bag it and um, encourage people to pick up a bag. We do hope to be collecting more feedback from patients on that, and we haven't done that yet today. But it's usually, um, I would say like 90% of the time, it's, it's gone by the end of the day. A lot of times we create mixed bags, typically, um, like if it's leafy greens, it's gonna be lower in weight, but um, in the summertime, they were typically about two pound bags each with maybe squash, eggplant, um, tomatoes, whatever was in season, chilies. You were talking about distributing food to patients and it got me thinking about what it is that you're actually growing. And if you are growing things that are more culturally relevant to your unique patient population, or if you know, you're just trying to, to get vegetables out and then maybe some of this evaluation you want, a feedback from patients is how can you make it more culturally relevant, but just curious if that, um, if you thought about that at all when you were planting. Yeah, yes and yes. I would say our original intent was that we would have these food demonstrations that would help introduce people to um, produce items they were less familiar with, but those are not an option at present. So eggplant in particular, that came up on our roundtable discussion a few days ago and and I do think that that we heard from patients that was one that they were often less familiar with and um, we had the most productive and um, robust eggplants ever so we did have quite a few eggplants and I hope that they weren't wasted but I think that's part of the learning process we need to um, work to provide uh, produce that people are familiar with and provide education for those items that they're less familiar with and um, perhaps depending, especially if it's not a terribly nutrient dense food, maybe grow less of it. So I don't know that we need to commit a whole bed to eggplant in the future, um, but 
but it was pretty cool to see these um, monster eggplant trees. I will um, just turn around briefly and show you our fence line here. Speaking of um, culturally appropriate food, it's a fence line of um, the spineless nopales. So that's one food that we're excited to be able to share eventually once they're bigger. Um, they're not quite big enough to harvest yet. And because like many other health centers in our area, um, our my, a majority population is Latino pop, uh, patients. We are trying to be as um, uh, just aware of their dietary preferences as possible. A big thank you to today's presenter, participants, and our listeners. I'm your host, Kelly Bond, and we'll see you next time in the QI chat room. Thank you.